This is the Bourbon Bookshelf Podcast, where we cover books, beverages, and the general BS of the day. A few disclaimers, we are not literary experts, or experts in anything for that matter, and explicit content should be expected. I am your host, Barry Price. I hope you enjoy the show. Good evening, fellas. Got a special treat this week. We've got author James Wade here with us. He's the author of All Things Left Wild and the soon-to-be-published River Sing Out. All Things Wild just won the Reading the West Award for Best Debut Fiction and the Spur Award for Best Historical Novel. Uh, congrats on that, James. Thanks for joining us. What are you drinking on this evening? Hey, thank you, sir. Thanks for having me, man. This is, uh, I've been listening to you guys for a while now, and, and this is a real treat to be here, and I appreciate you having me on to visit. And I'm uh, sipping on a little Lone Star Beer Tall Boys. I thought I'd keep it classy and go go a little Matthew <laughs> McConaughey, True Detective style. And, uh, so I'll... Uh, as we as we continue on throughout the night, I'll be slowly right. feeling these <laughs> little, uh, yeah. little people. Hey, if you do, we'll auction them off on the show. That'd be uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Jared, what are you drinking? I am uh, drinking a uh, a a low country mule. It's basically just a, a Moscow mule with whiskey. Saw that lime in there. I was wondering what was going on. I had a Firefly Distillery here in North Charleston a little while back, so I was like, I got to do it again. Good. John D., I'm drinking water. Sorry to let you down. You've just been on a tear lately. I'm drinking some Garrison Brothers. Woo! Texas straight bourbon whiskey. It's cooked, distilled, barreled, and bottled by Garrison Brothers Distillery in high Texas. Right down the road. Yeah. Have you ever been there? We have. Yeah, man. That's a, that's a great place, a fun place. And they make good, they make good whiskey. Yeah, it's real good. I, I went a couple of years ago, I say a couple is probably, is probably five or six years ago now. And we were in that little like country store out front and they just kept giving us moonshine samples. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I'm trying to get to Fredericksburg. I'm not going to make it. <laughs> so have to spend the night yeah. in Stonewall yeah <laughs> you have the bottle i just got a pint man my local liquor store always hooks it up with the with the pints oh you probably saved 50 dollars there yeah <laughs> shoot Maybe. i think i saw that at total total wine go get to- you one toe the line oh yeah <laughs> i forgot it's called toe the line or it sounds like toe the line <laughs> yeah so keep it going don't have anything to follow up on from the last episode we uh, brought our a game for once and didn't throw any any bullshit out there that needed to be corrected so see if we can't do that again <laughs> but uh this week we have got obviously all things left wild by james wade is his debut novel as we mentioned um uh, really want to start off by saying I really enjoyed this book. 
I wasn't sure what I was getting into when I got into it because I have a bad habit of diving into one star reviews before I ever even read the book. (laughs) And so I was a little bit anxious, but ended up being great and definitely is one I will recommend to a lot of people. Uh, And a bonus for me, uh, as anyone who's followed this show for any length of time probably knows I'm a big fan of the West Texas area and landscape. And that's where most of this book was was uh set and so that's a nice nice layer for me um and try to go through it without giving away too much of the story and we'll let james give it away if he feels like but uh basically the ten thousand foot overview of it's we got two brothers uh killed somebody in somewhat accidental manner and they're up to no good (laughs) um and had to set off running and those two brothers eventually join up with a gang of outlaws out here in West Texas and uh, things things start running amok as you might expect with a gang of outlaws and meanwhile the father of the young man who was killed sets out after him and is definitely out of his place and trying to do such things but I uh, found the cast of characters uh, and the varying storing lines to it and how they all came together to just be to be fantastic uh, really liked all the characters, even the even the bad guys, which you know you're doing good when when that's the case. <laughs> and uh, something else I really enjoyed is throughout the whole book, I never really knew what was going to happen next. Mm-hmm. There was just so many different routes I could see it going, and uh, definitely didn't know how it was going to end. But and very entertaining read. It was all said and done. Um, I really loved the, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, the observational writing. You know, I thought, I thought, uh, captured the, the area well, described the landscapes mm-hmm. well, the regions well. There was one line I really liked that was, uh, is talking about riding through the desert and seeing the mountains and not thinking you're ever going to get there. And that's something I've always thought about, you know in the olden days when people were on horseback or on foot, just thinking, man, those things are 10,000 miles away. <laughs> and so, and then I really enjoyed the uh, philosophical nature of the, of the dialogue through it too. So mm-hmm. uh, all things left wild by James Wade, about you know, 300 I, pages. Pretty I found myself. I, thought. <laughs> I found myself going. I, I really liked Caleb Bentley at the beginning of the book but i slowly found myself liking uh randall dawson like later in the book i don't know why it why it shifted like that but but damn it was good it was (laughs) i uh i remember it wasn't too far in the book caleb's brother shelby i'm like man this guy's a little fucker (laughs) but he redeemed himself he redeemed himself slightly it was a brief moment but he did it And I actually really liked uh, Grimes too. The the head of the outlaw gang, the Lobos, right? Yeah, that's a, yeah. that you know that's one of the things. What you know, Marvel Comics that's taken over the the entertainment world that they do really well is they have. I feel like they have villains that you can kind of at least see where they're coming from to some right. degree, you know, almost rooting for them for a minute. Yeah, exactly. You know, what is Thanos is just a really pissed off environmentalist or something, you know, uh, right. <laughs> but, they, uh, 
but you know, that's, uh, I teach a class on villain writing for the writers, uh, league of Texas and for a little group called, uh, the happy writers project. And so I almost kind of enjoy writing the bad guys a little more, giving them a little more depth, but, uh, but yeah, to Jared's point, man, Caleb, when I started off writing Caleb and just all the struggles he was, he's having internally at the beginning of the novel versus Randall, who's kind of, you know, he's just one dimensional, at least in the beginning. And, uh, mm -hmm. You know, and then kind of as it rocks on, he Randall grows and develops multiple layers as a character. And it, it really does kind of start making you pull for him a little bit or or at least uh, at least feel for him, you know, maybe more than you do in the start. But uh, yeah, but yeah, I appreciate those kind words, guys. It's uh, you know, we've had a great response. We've we've sold some books. We won some awards uh, more than any. All of this is just more than I ever could have imagined when I first wrote it and. Uh, yeah, thank y'all for the for the kind feedback. <laughs> Thanks for writing such a good book. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> we were we uh, <clears throat> something me and Jared were talking about, and I didn't pick up on it when I was reading the book, but it came out came out this afternoon when when we were discussing the book a little bit. Was uh, early on in the book after after Randall gets wounded in the shootout, the Indian chief or, or medicine man says that he's he's a good man but he's gonna turn bad and uh i wouldn't necessarily say he turned bad but he definitely his his attitude changed <laughs> a little bit at the end and and i just thought connecting those dots was a fun moment for me this uh -huh. afternoon yeah yeah <laughs> i got you well that's that's kind of the nature of the the beast right is uh it, everything i write i try to make it circumstantial, right? Like what would we do if we're in that situation? And, oh, yeah. you know, is like, Randall's out for revenge, but what does that really mean? And, you know, would he be fulfilled if he were to, uh, you know, to actually get that revenge? And of course he's got other characters on both sides kind of in his ear telling him, you know, do it, don't do it. And, mm -hmm. and so it just, you know, his whole worldview was, was very innocent, very naive. And that mm -hmm. shit got, the rug pulled out from under him real quick, you know, and he just kind of saw the, the little more of the brutal nature of things. And, uh, and you kind of have a choice, right? When you see that it's, you know, you can either start to kind of give into that a little bit or you right. can try to stay optimistic or, you know, I think, I guess probably the most successful people uh, are the ones that can kind of balance it out a little bit and understand how shitty things can be, but also maintain a, a little bit of uh, sanity and, and positivity, but, but yeah, Randall is a Randall's a character that that grew on me a lot. He was, you know, the way the novel's written is through Caleb's point of view and then alternating chapters, Randall's story, but not Randall's point of view, right? So it's first person for Caleb, third person for Randall. And in part that was because I never intended for Randall to really be as uh, big of a character as he as he grew to be uh, as I was writing the book. It was all going to be from Caleb's perspective, but uh, just the idea of this guy who uh, just you know, could barely find his ass with a pair of antlers uh, having to, <laughs> having to you know, go and, uh, and survive on the trail and in the wild and, uh, and certainly in these violent situations, you know, and, and to see how that might change him. And, uh, and to be honest, Al, I didn't know, you know, what was going to happen either <laughs> until, until I got yeah. there and it, it was all kind of organic from, from that point. But yeah, Randall, Randall's definitely one that grew on me. That's awesome. We're, <clears throat> So I guess that's kind of one of our questions was, mm -hmm. you know, when you go into it, are, 
do you have your characters kind of well defined or does it just you know does it just happen you know and even even actually my favorite character in the whole book was the lady in fort davis oh yeah <laughs> uh, and so you know when you go into writing are you expecting those characters to come in or does it just happen and and that goes for you know the the kind of sub characters as well as the main ones yeah the certainly the the supporting cast if you want to call it that they're they just happen you know i don't plan any of that um and and really for for most of what i i write with all things left wild and river sing out um it's a little different i'm working on my third and fourth novels right now and i'm trying to be a little better planned um, but for the first two books, man, I just let it fly. Uh, and, you know, I had a very small, specific idea. We were camped out in the desert uh, outside of Carlsbad. My wife and I, we traveled a little preamble. We traveled for about two years in our travel trailer. Um, and nice. we Lucky. were camped out in Carlsbad, uh, kind of maybe outside of White City, New Mexico. And we're on some BLM land out there. And I... Uh, I was going on a little little walk, a little morning meditation, whatever you want to call it, and just kind of looking out at the landscape. And uh, and I was walking. I kind of I saw my boot prints like in the sand, and was feeling all reflective and shit. And, <laughs> and I thought, you know, this. Uh, I kind of felt bad, right? Like I felt like I was out in this like untouched, you know, virgin land here, and here I am putting boot prints on it. Um, and about that time, this crazy ass windstorm comes up and it just play, <laughs> completely blows my, my footprints away. And then I thought, man, you're a moron. Like so many people have been here before you and, you know, everything mm -hmm. from Native Americans to Spanish conquistadors to oil men. And, you know, and now they got cattle, you know, grazing on BLM land. And so uh, and so I just thought, you know, how many other stories have kind of been erased or whatever and. Anyway, I went back to the camper and sat down and I just wrote this one paragraph. And I think it's uh, I think it's it's not the prologue of the book, but I think it might be the first uh, paragraph of chapter one uh, about just Caleb and Shelby. But in my mind at the time, it was just two brothers. I wrote a paragraph about two brothers uh, in a dust storm and they were running from something. But I didn't know what at the time. And that's really just how it all kind of took off. It, it, it was just started as that one paragraph and uh continually built and built from there not necessarily always chronologically you know when i wrote it um but uh but yeah it was all yeah i had never done it before it was my first i'd, I'd only written short stories this was my first full-length manuscript and uh so i kind of learned a lot and stumbled a bunch along the way but uh wrote it in only about three and a half months in 2018 and Dang. and uh and then sent it out and everything just went from there Really wrote it in 2018 and it published last summer, right? Yeah, that's that's the the beauty of the publishing industry, man. We uh, it, it <laughs> was in a big strange. hurry out there. <laughs> yeah, well, I you know I'd always heard, um, and I had I had played around with fiction writing uh, a little bit and had written some short stories and had entered some contests and whatnot, and gone to a conference here or there to try to learn more about it. And everything that everybody said was, you know, it takes forever, it takes forever, it takes forever, and uh, you know, I wrote the book relatively quickly. We sent it out to an agent. My wife and I basically just made spreadsheets of agents, uh, after doing a little, a little Googling and, uh, and we ended up with both of us had Mark Gottlieb at Trident Media at the top of our list. And so we said, well, let's start with him. 
And he, and again, we'd heard, you know, hey, query, send a query letter to an agent. It's going to take a while for him to respond. But he responded like the next day and was like, you know, send me the rec. I think we'd send him like the first chapter is what uh, his requirement was. And he's like, send me the rest. We sent him the rest. He read it over the weekend and uh, offered me literary representation by that Monday. Uh, We were, I think at the time we were in South Dakota in the Black Hills and I had to climb up on this little ridge to get cell reception (laughs) Um, and then uh, about a week later we were in montana at glacier national and uh and he called said hey man we got a three book deal and you know let's let's go do this and so (laughs) wow yeah i I said this is happening super fast these people don't know what they're talking about but then it it was at that point that i that everything started getting real cogged up it's like all right well now we got to iron out the contract details and then we got to uh, edit the book and do a cover and do uh, advanced reader copies and generate buzz and do just all this shit that I didn't know anything about and had never gone through that process. And so, yeah, so we're about, that's why uh, River Sing Out, I wrote in 2019. It'll be out in a couple of weeks. So that's 2021. So we're basically, my publisher is about two years behind the novels that I'm working on, um, which is good in some ways, but in some ways, man, I, I was talking to a buddy of mine, uh, actually who lives out in West Texas. And, uh, and he was saying, you know, that must be frustrating because it'd be like, he does uh, the MMA jujitsu stuff. And he said, it would be really frustrating if somebody was kind of judging my talent level or skill level today. Or two-year-old material. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And I said, man, that's exactly what it, you know, like it would be terrible marketing material, but what I would love to do sometimes when I'm talking about the books is go, yeah, you know, there were some things I did right, but I see a lot of shit I did wrong and I've gotten a lot better since then. So please buy this book, but trust me, just wait two <laughs> years. I want to work on that even better, but you know, I, don't, I don't think my publisher would think that was a good selling point. It's like, right. oh, two years from now, I'm going to be really good. Yeah, I promise. <laughs> I have a question. Hey. Um, you said you wrote your first book and then went out and got representation and then got a three book deal. So was River Sing Out done under contract? It was, yes, sir. So what what happened was uh, I had written All Things Left Wild, got Mark at Trident uh, as an agent, and on the strength of All Things Left Wild, they offered two untitled, you know, manuscripts. And I was happy that it wasn't trying to be a series or anything like that because uh, I wasn't really into it. And um, and so yeah, so it was so River Sing Out was the second book. And basically their only parameter was, I believe they said similar length and tone. And so, you know, while River Sing Out is not a Western and it's not historical, I feel like it does carry over a a similar literary tone um, and it's a similar length. And so that was really the only guidelines they gave me, which I'm so appreciative of because at the time I, you know, I hadn't even had one book published. And so for them to kind of trust me on that deal was was great and uh and then for the third book narrow the road which will come out next summer uh we flip back to the western genre and uh, back to west texas and redford texas in the 1940s so uh I, I love being able to do that and i couldn't do that without my publisher you know allowing me to kind of just have that long leash to to do whatever yeah that i i think that would be a worry for me going into something like that is that they they would put I'd probably call it golden handcuffs on me, you know, or, or do something that would stifle my creativity. Yeah. So that's they, good. That they're flexible. 
they've been they've been really good. They I, I can tell as we as we move forward, and this is just kind of the way that that it all works, and really has probably for a long time, but even more so now with social media and all the different ways uh, folks market the books, but also kind of market the writer is they've they've been upfront about hey, we want you to be in that. Larry McMurtry, Cormac McCarthy, like uh, Lane or whatever. That's how we're going to market you. So we, I, I just signed a contract extension with them uh, at the end of last year for five more books. So that would bring nice. the total to eight. Um, but but of the, <laughs> I signed it for five books, but I'd actually pitched seven books. There were five <laughs> that were literary and and kind of the same heavy material that uh, that I worked with with all things left wild and reversing out. And then there were two that were a little lighter, a little more fun, you know, and, uh, and didn't have that same uh, literary density to it, I guess you'd call it. And they didn't specifically say we want these five and we don't want these two. But I think it was a little, <laughs> uns- it was, it was a little unspoken, you know, baseball there where they were like, all right, so you pitched seven books and we're going to sign you for a five book deal. You know, and it just so happens that five of these books are all pretty similar and the other two are completely different. Right. That's funny. Was there a lot more pressure writing under that uh, under contract than just in the middle of the desert with some inspiration there? You know, I thought there would be, but and and I guess in some ways there is. Certainly with deadlines, uh, you know, I've got a one year old daughter, so like free time is a fucking cruel joke. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and so, so that part of it there is, but also there's, uh, such a, I don't know, like a reassuring quality to knowing that the book already has a home, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's basically, unless it's just a complete pile of dog shit, they're going to, you know, work with me on it and, you know, and mm-hmm. we'll, and we'll, uh, make sure it gets published. But, um, but yeah, so there, there is a little more pressure just in terms of the timing of it. Um, but I do feel a lot of relief knowing that I'm not just screaming into the void like that it will get published and and we'll have a a a place you know where it can be sold and get out to readers yeah i would imagine knowing knowing kind of the routine too that once they accept it and then you got to design your cover and start marketing just knowing what's coming probably gives a lot of peace too absolutely i this in uh 2019 when we were just kind of waiting for everything to happen uh having never gone through it before i was just on pins and needles almost every day like should something be happening is this normal? right yeah <laughs> why ain't anybody emailing me <laughs> exactly and uh and of course you know my publisher works with they have a whole stable of authors so does my agent it's not like i'm the center of, of the universe or anything like that but hell you feel that way when you're sitting alone in your office every every day mm-hmm. um but yeah it's been it's been a, a crazy experience to be honest with you. I never thought that, uh, never thought that I'd be here and still kind of, you know, as cheesy as it sounds, I still kind of pinch myself, man. You know, if I, right. if I knock off work at one or two o'clock and go feed the deer in the backyard and hang out with my kiddo and my wife and, uh, think that shit, most people I know are at work right now, you know? <laughs> and so yeah. just, we all are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, Blackstone, I've been working with them a little bit and trying to get this going, and uh, they've been great to work with. They are really cool, man. They're kind of right in the middle. They're not one of the, the big five or whatever you call it, the Power Five conferences. They're, <laughs> they're, not, uh, <laughs> they're not one of the big houses, right, like Penguin, uh-huh. uh, Simon & Schuster. Um, but they're also bigger than – 
kind of the smaller boutique houses. So I don't know what you call them, a mid-major program, I guess. The back. Um, but yeah. Um, but they and it's interesting because they are they've been around for years and years as an audio book. Uh, I'm going to try to adjust this slide so I don't look like I'm telling y'all a fucking ghost story here. Um, <laughs> they've, they've been around for years as primarily an audio book publisher. Um, and they started, in fact, as Blackstone Audio and just switched over in 2013, I think, was their first year to have a print division. So they're relatively new, which is great because they're hungry and they're, you know, they're ready to get out there and uh, and make a name for themselves. But they also have that built in industry knowledge that they've, you know, garnered over 30 some some odd years in the in the audio business. So it's right, a pretty right. cool, pretty cool combo, uh, you know, and, and they got a good family environment to where it, you know, they act like they. I don't know if they actually give a shit, but they act like they do. And right. that, that counts for something, yeah, no, it goes a long way. Just pretending. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, let's hear your favorite negative reviews on your book. Oh, man. So I pulled up. I know you all usually do Amazon, <laughs> but I pulled up Goodreads because, I mean, there are just there are some absolute gems. Oh, I, I'll start. I'll start with my favorite one because it, it's all going to go downhill from there anyway. So. <laughs> So this, uh, this lady says the title of her review is boring and <laughs> it says unrelenting violence, terrible non-ending. Don't bother. This book will leave you with a depressing and unhelpful view of humanity. Oh, that's what I like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you're here. Yeah. <laughs> And that, and honestly, that is what I've gotten in terms of negative reviews. That's kind of been the theme. Um, it's interesting when I queried my agent, um, I sent out query letters to, I, I want to say 15 or 20 agents all at the same time on the same day. It was just coincidence or luck or a combination that, uh, that the agent we wanted the most got back to us first. So I actually emailed the other agents and said, hey, you know, I know agents lives are super busy and y'all get shit all the time. So don't worry about reading it. But I guess that some of them, either the assistant didn't get the email to them or, or they were already into it. Uh, but I got I got some you know emails back that were like, hey, we can't we don't like this book because uh, it makes us sad and we're trying to sell happy books. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> all right. And again, you know, I, I tell new writers all the time, like, don't get discouraged if you get a rejection, because if I hadn't have found if if Mark hadn't have gotten back to me so quickly, then I would have been getting those rejections without mm -hmm. obviously without having an agent. And they probably yeah. would have impacted me you know, a lot more and, and made me feel a lot worse, uh, because at the time I just was kind of laughing like, well, I already got my guy anyway. Um, right. All right. You probably you probably don't want to be with that particular agent. Well, yeah, exactly. Anyway, right? Like, yeah, that, I mean, that's exactly it. Is you got to have somebody that kind of is on, you know, the same page. No pun intended, but uh, certainly, you know, <laughs> believes in the book and wants to go out there and, and fight for you to get the best, you know, mm -hmm. best deals and all that. Um, all right, let's see here. We've got a. Uh, let's, let's find a good one. Oh, here we go. I won't read all this one because it's a novel unto itself. But <laughs> uh, this lady said. I had to give this is a two star review. So we're, we're cheating a little bit, but it, it, it makes sense because she said I had to give this more than one star because I finished the book. I'm not sure oh. why I did. I guess I hope <laughs> there would be a happy ending or at least some kind of moral to the story. 
And then, and then we'll skip on down and uh, say, uh, according to what is told in the story over and over by the characters, there seems to be no hope for the future, either on this earth, on either on this earth or after death. The ending is less than desirable. Oh, come on. <laughs> I like the ending. <laughs> it messed me up, man. I loved it. <laughs> I was like... I wasn't expecting it. But yeah, that's that's certainly the theme. And, you know, we've had, uh, I had one guy uh, on Amazon, I think Barry pointed this one out, that like I had the wrong bird in the wrong, like this bird wouldn't have been at, in this geographical region at this time or something mm-hmm. like that, or, or the bird. I had the bird hop in when the bird doesn't hop. And, uh, and I got to be <laughs> yeah, honest. Yeah, they strut instead of hop. <laughs> yeah, and I got to be honest. I was like, well, shit, he got me. Like, right. I mean, that's all you can do. Like, because yeah. I looked it up, obviously I was, you know, butt hurt and I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to make sure he was at least right. And he was. And so there's nothing you could do about that. Uh, I had another guy, I think it was on Goodreads, uh, give me a one star and said, I couldn't finish that after the author said pronghorn deer. And because oh, yeah. obviously prong, you know, pronghorn one category deer another. And I really, that's one of those times because you can't respond to these because then you sound petty, but I wanted to tell right. you, and I, I know you're right, and I know you're right <laughs> when I was writing it, but here's the thing. This book is selling in New York. It's selling in L.A. It's selling right. in Chicago. They uh-huh. don't know what a, what the fuck All a right. pronghorn is. My editor on the book, there's there's a there's a line early on in the prologue that says, a duo of fox squirrels uh played and barked or something like that so or no of cat squirrels so i so i had cat cat squirrels barked and my editor who's from new york was like what in the fuck are you talking about what is going on is it a a cat or a squirrel and why is it barking so you know so i kind of now i left that in obviously because i I think that's a little you know anybody that's uh that's ever kind of been around nature would would get that one but you know so there's Uh certain concessions you have to make with with the uh basically assuming what people know and, and what people don't. But, but I will say the bird, the bird guy got me, man. He, he got me. <laughs> I just think that's funny that they even picked up on it. You know, only it's, an ornithologist would pick that out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that this dude is like bird watcher of the year, you know, and, probably. And that's, and that, a, okay. Again, I, that, you gotta have thick skin with this stuff. I mean, so on Goodreads right now, I have 492 reviews. Obviously, some of them are going to be uh, <laughs> got to be a bad some one. Some of them are going to be bad, and that's what I appreciate about what y'all are doing. Is you know, you did where the crawdads sing, and I mean, shit, what does it have? Like a million reviews. Oh so yeah, it's going to yeah. have a lot of a lot of bad reviews. I mean, that's just the the nature of the beast, you know. I I found the only books that don't have bad reviews are ones that haven't been out long enough for somebody to leave one. Yeah, absolutely. So I did like in that last that last episode I did in the company of killers and it didn't have any, but it's only been out it only been out for two weeks, you know, at the time right. that we did it. So yeah, um, their their time will come. <laughs> so do you say it Cormac or Cormac? You said yeah, it earlier, I, but I, I kind of missed it. I was thinking about that when I saw your notes. I say Cormac, but I honestly have no I have no idea. I don't until I hear him pronounce it, I, yeah. you know, I, I don't know. So uh, he lives in Santa Fe, you know, and and uh, John's John's got a cabin up in that area, and we were up there last summer. I'm like, you know what? Let's go track this guy down. So I <laughs> did a little, I did a little research. I tried to find out his address, 
and uh, I actually did find it out, but we didn't go by there. <laughs> you, so. Well, that's pretty good on you for finding <laughs> out his address because, I mean, he's he's notoriously private, you know, hardly oh, ever yeah. does interviews or any of that stuff. And, in fact, there was a whole article when he lived in El Paso in the 90s. There was a whole article in, like, maybe the Texas, Texas Monthly or one of those magazines where – the entire article was the author talking about Cormac McCarthy and how he'd gone to El Paso to try to interview him and he just couldn't get the interview. <laughs> yeah, he's real reclusive. Yeah. Speaking I've actually of Cormac, or no, quick, no. um, you've been compared to him, and but I do appreciate that you use punctuation. Yeah, <laughs> quotation marks. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, if I if I was uh, if I was big enough to get away with not using quotation marks and, and punctuation i would because it's a pain in the ass i know cormick says right. it. <laughs> it'd be a lot easier right? <laughs> yeah I, well i'll tell you what i do is a lot of times i'll write the uh the novel without any of that stuff and then go back and painstakingly you know just gra grab a grab a bourbon and just go through the novel really? and just put put the quotation marks in there um and sometimes i get my uh be beautiful and generous wife too to go and help me with that. Uh, but it just, cause it, I don't know why, but sometimes you just get in a rhythm and the last thing you want to do is, is, uh, yeah, be is worrying about the, a comma. the nanosecond that it takes to, to use a quotation mark. But, uh, yeah, I have been compared to him and that's, that's horseshit. That's, I'm, I'm, <laughs> he's humble. Anytime too, somebody folks. says, obviously, obviously <laughs> but it's not, it, it, that's, that's ridiculous. Um, he's, for for the people that like him i think I, I, he's so polarizing you either love him or hate him but for the people that love mm -hmm. him they just know that there's there's nobody like that you know um and so i have gotten some hate for that because I, obviously a lot of my writing is at least influenced molded you know i'm not trying to be cormac mccarthy because again i just think that's a non-starter but uh but there are a lot of folks who think that i am trying to do that and so i've gotten you know some uh, some people saying, hey, this guy's just trying to copycat Cormac McCarthy and he does a bad job at it, which I would agree with the does a bad job at it part. Um, <laughs> but, I'm just, but I'm not I'm not trying to do that to begin with. I, I think that's impossible. Um, you know, I, I read a lot and, and love a lot of authors, but the gap between Cormac and anybody else for me is just astronomical. I, I imagine a review like that is kind of a blessing and a curse. It kind of gets attention, but then you have really high uh, expectations yeah. Go with that. yeah john that's that is exactly right man I, you know you see that and at first you want to be happy but then you kind of cringe because you know that you know smarter people than the than the reviewer are, <laughs> are yeah, about to come right. in and say no this this kid does not you know it does not measure up but uh don't don't want them comparing it to blood meridian yeah oh, shit. yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> i did so for river sing out i did get a i did get a cormic comparison that i actually was okay with uh kirkus reviews um said that river sing out was a combination of cormac mccarthy and deliverance and i think adding i think adding that yeah, yeah. that caveat of, of <laughs> deliverance in there i'm like okay now now that i can get you know what i mean because um, it definitely has some mccarthy vibes but uh but bring it back to just uh, you know uh something a lot more obtainable yeah we, uh, I've read all of Cormac's books except for Sutri and Orchard Keeper, and I've loved all of them. Definitely have loved some more than others. Sure, sure, yeah. Orchard but, Keeper, so that that was his first one, and that was to me, that was the hardest one to kind of 
follow what was going on and and uh, yeah, it was just kind of all over the place. But Sutri, I read. Uh, let's see, when did I read that? I read that in Colorado. We were in the Beulah Valley, just kind of on a little vacation. That I read that up there, and man, that is it's so unlike anything else that he's written. It, it's it, at times it's like laugh out loud funny. Oh, really? um, it, it's very darkly funny. It's, it's very darkly <laughs> like they've, uh, you know, they, they got one character who we are introduced to him because he's uh, slipping into this farmer's watermelon patch every night and fucking the watermelons. Um, and that, <laughs> you know, and, 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 you know, you I'm picking it up McCarthy, next. <laughs> you, you imagine Dibs. McCarthy in his beautiful lyrical prose talking about this guy right. fucking a watermelon. And, uh, so anyway, yeah, I don't know if he meant it to be funny, but uh, a lot of it is laugh out loud funny. And uh, a lot of it is kind of a autobiographical a little bit, um, not the watermelon fornicating, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but it's basically a big drunk fest, right? So the main character, uh-huh. Cornelia Sutri, just basically stumbles around uh, Knoxville, just boozing the whole time, and uh, and Cormac has kind of hinted that that was kind of his deal before he, you know, uh, cleaned up a little bit. And I think he was sober for a while, but one of the last, one of the more recent interviews I've read with him said that he, uh, the interviewer commented that Cormac had a, a cocktail or or something. And in case anybody wonders what kind of cocktail Cormac McCarthy drinks, apparently he drank a gin Gibson at dinner that night. So uh everybody run what's out jim what's a gin gibson i have no idea <laughs> yeah, I, john's on it i see john right now <laughs> <laughs> um i have heard rumors that cormac has another book in the works which is hard to imagine because he's what 86 or something something like that he's definitely getting up there yeah he so his uh the book that he's supposedly working on um is called the passenger and it's his first foray kind of into a little bit of not science fiction, but just more devoted to, to science and to uh, astronomy, um, which are things that he's hinted. He's hinted at that, you know, throughout his novels, just kind of the way he describes, uh, you know, certain things and aspects of the universe. But uh, this is supposed to be a lot more, a lot more meaty on the, on the science end. And, I think there in Santa Fe, he shared some pages at some event with the the Santa Fe Institute of Technology. And oh, I'm sure that played a huge part in it. The fact that he, you know, has an office there and around all those scientists. But, uh, oh, yeah. but yeah, that's, that's been rumored and in the works for basically ever since the road came out. And so I, I hope that we get it, man. You know, I mean, shit, like you said, he's, <laughs> he's getting old. Yeah. And I, yeah. I don't want this to be a George R.R. R. Martin thing where we right. never... I don't think we're ever going to see the the last Game of Thrones. The last book. of it. Uh, Damn, I, I never got into out. Game of Thrones, but <laughs> we were, you know, after after McMurtry died, we were talking, you know, how those things usually happen in threes, and we were worried that that McCarthy may may fall I, yeah. into that. Yeah, I was. I, there were. I think there were a lot of people here in Texas that were that were kind of thinking that uh, we because we lost McMurtry and then Leon Hell, who was a. Uh, a great uh, writer and journalist uh, from uh, from the East Texas area had worked for the Houston Chronicle for shit sixty years or something. Oh, wow. And and he passed right after McMurtry, and so uh, and then who was there was a uh, was it Beverly Cleary? Yeah, the children's yeah. book. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that's maybe that, that was, was about the th- same day almost. That it- yeah, maybe that was our three. Maybe we got off. Uh, yeah, yeah, we dodged, <laughs> dodged one. Thanks, Beverly. Got off the hook. 
Damn it. If, if, yeah, that's better. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Carthy's <laughs> writing sci fi. I think I need to read it. Yeah, Jared, we'll let you have a, that one. Being a Crichton fan, dude, I think. Oh, nice. <laughs> I, uh, every so often a sci fi book will get me. The Martian's probably my favorite. Oh, yeah. Andy Weir wrote that, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's got a new he's got a new one that just came out, I think. Yeah, just in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what that's called though. I Actually, I don't remember it. either, but I just it it's was big, it's, one. it's on the New York Times bestseller list, so it's gotta be pretty good. So uh, space, right? Aside from Cormic, who are some of your other other ones you like to dive into? So I actually want to say you know, I sent this agenda out to you and I had all these questions and then my wife said, you need to go look at his website, which I should have done months ago. I'm looking at his LinkedIn. And, uh, I went and looked and I found your blog <laughs> and it answered almost every single one of my questions, <laughs> but I'm still going to ask him. <laughs> so, and you need to keep the blog going by the way, cause I really enjoyed reading it. Well, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, the blog, uh, the blog has fallen a little by the wayside. We've got a newsletter uh, on the website. Anybody that wants to go to jameswaderider.com, it's free to sign up. And uh, I've, I've done a decent job. And again, this is all with my wife basically driving the train and me shoveling the coal. But uh, right. <laughs> she's uh, she's kept me good on the newsletter. It goes out once a month, you know, so it doesn't feel like we're spamming you. But uh kind of is similar to the blog and the stuff we talk about but then we throw in some some literary trivia to give away books and all that good stuff oh, cool. but uh but no the good thing about it is whatever answers you think you found on the blog have probably changed <laughs> uh, you know i was just doing a, an interview yesterday with uh, a group called long star literary life and uh i did i remember i'd done an interview with them last year and some of the questions were pretty similar and i went back after the interview and looked at how i'd answered last year and it was just it was the totally world different different and and i'm sure that if we talk again next year it'll this should right. be different. i'll be but, different uh, but no i the writers that i love you know mccarthy's first and foremost i i've, I've got everything he's ever written novel screenplay uh oh, cool. i read he, he published a, a non-fiction essay his only non-fiction he's ever published um called the kakuli problem that was about uh kind of the the consciousness of language and 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 as as per usual it was brilliant um but, uh, but after that, I mean, there's, after that, it gets, it gets a lot more diverse, I guess. Um, you know, I, I love McMurtry obviously, but even as great as he was, he had some, some misses. If anybody's tried to read the last, uh, the last kind word saloon, I think is the, <laughs> the, name of the book. man, we love the, we love to bring that book up. I was like, Oh, oh really? Yeah. I, oh it was, uh, it's funny. It's like it's written for a fifth grader. Or yeah, and, and it's bizarre because <laughs> Horseman Passed By, which was McMurtry's first novel, which he wrote when he was 25, like an asshole. Um, you know, I mean, just it's so good, right? Like that, that it pissed me off. 25 years old, his his first, his debut novel, he writes Horseman Passed By, and it's as good a novel as that exists, in my opinion. And And so you go from something like that to... Lonesome Dove to the whole last picture, uh, you know, trilogy or shit. I think it turned into like a, you know, like an eight book series with some of those characters. But but all of that is so good. And then you got something like the, the Last of the Kind of Words Saloon. And, you know, hey, I guess when you publish what however many novels, I mean, he's published 
a ton of them. I guess you're going to have right. a dud in there somewhere, but, uh, right. <laughs> but I do, I do love McMurtry. Um, I'll tell you the guy that is, that was little known to me until somebody brought him, uh, brought him up is, uh, an author named William Gay, um, who wrote, uh, I think he only wrote maybe three novels, uh, that were published before he passed away. But, uh, he, he wrote a novel called, uh, the province of night or Pro is it province of night. I think so. And he, uh, he got that title from a Cormac McCarthy novel and man, he is the closest thing, you know, when people say, Oh, the next Cormac McCarthy or whatever, I just stopped paying attention. But, but William Gay is probably the closest that you can get to McCarthy. Um, and I, I love that uh, Ken, Ken Harris, who wrote plain song, um, another great writer who, who passed away too soon. Um, but, but he, he was phenomenal. Apparently I just like reading dead people. Um, but Flannery, hey, a lot of a lot of people don't get famous till they're dead. So yeah, that's very true. Uh, Flannery O'Connor short stories, I love Raymond Carver. Um, a lot of you know, I I read the classics Hemingway and Faulkner, and I love to. They they had like one of the first like literary American literary feuds. Anyway, uh, they fucking hated each other. Right? Faulkner, oh, really? I didn't know that. Like yeah, books and, 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 and it's and it's, it is perfect because yeah. <laughs> Yes. yes, I've been following that shit all day, man. That's been, yeah. that's been great. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, Faulkner and Hemingway, they had these two starkly different uh, ideas of what literature should be. And uh, whereas Hemingway is more of like the zoomed in camera lens, right? Like mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's very up close and personal. It's very uh, the iceberg theory, uh, short and simple sentences. Whereas Faulkner would not only tell you what was happening in the scene or in the room, but also in the house and in the yard and in the state and in the fucking universe right. or whatever. Expand it way out. Yeah, you know, and, and Hemingway, I do in, in another uh, class that I that I teach for uh, the Happy Writer Project is I give, I start off by saying, look, there's no one way to do this, right? So I read uh, 82 words from Hemingway that I want to say is like, if I can remember correctly, it's like 11 sentences or something. So it's 82 words, 11 sentences. And then I read 83 words from Faulkner. That's one sentence. Um, and so it is. And so they basically went after each other where Faulkner would say Hemingway is chicken shit and too scared to take, take a chance on the page. Um, Hemingway would say Faulkner's a fucking show off and just tries to use a bunch of fancy words. And so they went back and forth at each other kind of in the press or whatever. Um, and so that was, yeah, that was one of those great, and I, and I read them both, and I and I take a lot from both. But I I'm on I'm Team Faulkner for you know hashtag Team Faulkner for whatever it's worth, <laughs> um, because I, I think that I mirror writing with life a lot, and so I try and fail constantly, but I try in life to remember that it's not just this close up of me, like it's not it's not just about me, and so any situation I'm in, any action that I'm gonna that I'm trying to decide to take or not take. I try to look at the larger view. I try to keep everything in perspective. Um, and, and again, I fail at that all the time, but, but I love how Faulkner does that. And McCarthy, of course, was a student of Faulkner and Faulkner was a student of Melville. And it just kind of goes, in fact, McCarthy's, uh, we talked about the Orchard Keeper, his first review, and I'm sorry, I'm nerding out on this. I'm like, I'm like a half-assed <laughs> McCarthy scholar. Um, but his, his first review from, uh, from the New York Times for the Orchard Keeper they said this this kid has got a ton of talent. 
he could be really great, but he needs to stop trying to be Faulkner. Um, it, it's, it sounds like he's just pulling a bunch of shit from, from Faulkner. And so, uh, you know, I always, I always kind of laugh at that kind of stuff. Um, because, you know, obviously little did they know that he was going to turn into this literary giant. What he did, right. I, uh, on, uh, in on writing that Stephen King's little memoir thing, he did a comparison between a Hemingway sentence and uh, a line from Blood Meridian by McCarthy. And it was that same deal. It's like, you know, there's, there's obviously two ways to go about this. Um, and then I, something I wanted to, to mention earlier when he talked about writing the, what became the first paragraph of all things left wild. Um, Hemingway had said the way he started every i don't know if it's every novel but it was to write the uh what did he say write the the truest yeah write the truest thing you know and then go from there and when you were talking about the the dust storm it made me made me think of that and then i'll say too the one of the first novels i ever read was um a farewell to arms by hemingway yeah and then uh, shortly after that, I read All the Pretty Horses by McCarthy, and I've been a reader ever since. So, man, that's all. That, those are. I need to try to read a, some Faulkner, though. That's a hell of a couple of novels to get started with, man. <laughs> yeah, it's good. And it's been up and down ever since. So, yeah, yeah. And that's the other thing is, you know, I try to, I, the, the truth is, I buy a lot of, of uh, contemporary novels, either from friends or, you know, uh, Texas writers or, you know, whatever. And, uh, and I kind of skim them, you know, but I don't, I don't read a lot of, uh, of stuff. And in, in, in part, that's because once you read McCarthy and when I say you, I just, it's for people that love McCarthy or, or love that kind of writing. Once you read that, or once you read Faulkner, it's really tough to say, okay, I have X amount of time. And I'm going to read this novel, you know, about, I don't know, whatever, some shit that just doesn't seem to matter anymore. <laughs> right. Um, so, so many books, so little time. Yeah, exactly. I say exactly. a lot. But this, by the same token, I mean, shit, if I'm buying their book, it doesn't really matter if I read it, does it? I mean, they got the sales. Yeah, yeah they don't care. <laughs> <laughs> just don't leave a one-star review. Uh, so what, right. do you look, what do you look for in a, you know, if you – if you were just walking around a, a bookstore, what would you be looking to to find? What would catch your eye? What would you want to read? I'm I'm definitely the the guy in the bookstore who opens the book and reads, you know, either the first few lines or just some, you know, something to kind of get a you know a, a feel for how the writer uh, goes about it. Um, to me, it's not about story, and that's again, that's probably one of my limitations, honestly, as a writer is, uh, I try to tell a good story, but usually the story is second to, uh, the craft of writing itself, the the quality or the strength of the prose. Um, and in part, maybe that's just a product of my generation, right? I, I mean, our TV right now is better than it's ever been. I mean, we, you know, you can't, the, ever since the Sopranos, I guess, like TV has just gotten better and better and better. And so if I want, a story, I can just turn to that and get that kind of instant gratification. So what sets to me, what sets a novel apart from just flipping on the tube is 
the the poetry of it right like you know can can this shit dig down deep in my soul and pull out something um that that a television show can't that a movie can't or that a, a beach read can't and that's that's not a dig at any i'm not saying that authors in order to be good writers have to write the the heaviest most you know pressing existential stuff um but as a reader that's just the things that i gravitate toward um i don't like the light reads the rom-coms the the scandalous you know guilty pleasure stuff like there's enough of that shit out there um yeah and and so yeah i just i want it i want to be impressed or at least moved by the prose and again that's i picked up a william gay book on um a recommendation from a buddy of mine for the first time just maybe a month ago uh provinces of night and uh and like the first the the prologue it was just like a page and a half and i was like holy shit yeah, man. like this is gonna be good yeah and i didn't i didn't read the uh the jacket cover you know so i didn't i didn't know what the story was about and or anything like that so it really is just to me it's just the quality of of the writing and i know i'm probably in the minority there and i don't think that you know I, i'm not like a not like an elitist prick about it or anything like you know i just i love when people read books i don't care what book they're reading um i, I think it's an awesome thing that makes our society better makes our culture better and, and makes us a little bit smarter uh not that that's a super high bar but uh <laughs> but yeah but that's just for, for me as a reader i do i do like kind of the more intense uh heavy stuff so do you watch tv <laughs> i do but my, my, my wife and i are we we watch something we're watching something all the time right now we're all wrapped mm -hmm. up in uh that hbo uh mayor of east town uh with with kate winslet is a is like a it's like basically it's kind of like true detective but with kate winslet instead of mcconaughey and woody harrelson <laughs> and uh and it's good i mean it's it's again it's just that's the problem is every damn show we watch is, is good, you it's know? Good, um, yeah. And, and it's just gotten so much better over the years. And yeah, we watch, we got too many of these subscription services, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know. I always have to ask, well, which one is it on? You know, is it Hulu or Amazon yeah. or Netflix or whatever? Have you had a chance See? to watch those who wish me dead? I'm, I'm a big fan of Taylor Sheridan. I think you is guys that actually, a, Who's the who's the lead in that? Um, I it's hard. There's not really Angelina Jolie is in. Okay, that's what I thought. No, I haven't seen that, but I've seen it on the scroll. Uh, did Taylor Sheridan on the wrote scroll? That? Yeah, yeah, on the scroll. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Taylor Sheridan, man. Speaking of good filmmaking and television, he's a uh, Hell or High Water, Wind River. I mean, damn. Oh, really? Yeah, Sicario uh, too, Barry. Yeah, that's right. Wrote, wrote Sicario and I guess the sequel, right? And he, and he does Yellowstone too. Yeah, really? he does. He, yeah, Yellowstone's a fun show, right? Like to, to me, <laughs> and, I, and I've, I've had some discussions with a buddy of mine because uh, we both grew up in East Texas and uh, any, everybody in East Texas is like Yellowstone is the greatest television show in the history of the world. And, uh, and we like it. We watch it, you know, but I think to me, it just kind of, it's so soap opera, like, you know, that you you got like 10 murders per year or something, you know, like just within this ranch and uh, it just, I don't know, it's, it's a little like over the top, you know, and, uh, and it needs to be because it's a television show that's on Paramount and, you know, you got to keep things interesting. It can't be a slow burn. 
uh, or people will stop watching. But uh, but as, as good as like the set pieces and the scenery and all that stuff is, I, I prefer uh, Sheridan's movies. Wind, Wind River is one of the just the best movie. Yeah. Well, and, shit, and Hell and High Water. Uh, yeah, Hell we're I love Hell or High Water. God, so good, man. That's another guy that I just get pissed off at. He's just so good. <laughs> We uh, so speaking of Yellowstone, you shared a video of Ryan Bingham a couple days ago, and we're all big Bingham fans. And I actually have a bone to pick with Yellowstone because I've never watched it, and probably never will because not really a not really a TV man. But I am a music man, and Ryan Bingham's music has seemed to not exist anymore since Yellowstone came along. So <laughs> he needs to produce a new album, man. Well, dude, I. I, I got bad I got bad news for y'all. So Taylor Sheridan just signed like a $250 million deal with Paramount. And he's he's uh producing or developing two more TV shows that are both kind of Yellowstone spinoffs. And supposedly the chatter, the chatter over the transom is that uh is that one of those shows is gonna be starring Ryan Bingham and then also uh another oh, character, shit. the Jimmy character from Yellowstone. And there, it's going to be set in Texas uh, at a different ranch where, because Ryan Bingham just, or not Ryan Bingham, uh, Taylor Sheridan just bought uh, like a hundred million dollar ranch uh, in in North Texas, and a lot of folks are saying it's because he's going to uh, start shooting this television show there. But uh, anyway, so I don't. I, I, it sounds like Ryan Bingham is uh, outside of the cantina sessions that he's been doing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> man, I love the cantina started. sessions. I do too, man. <laughs> If uh, so, I'll tell you what, if Ryan Bingham's the lead, I'll watch it. And uh, I wonder if, if that's the ranch out there on Ranger Hill that's been for sale for a long time. That'd be cool. Plus Ranger Hill. So, uh, I don't know. That's old Bingham. Uh, quick, quick, one last question on your reading habits. Sure. Who is your favorite literary character? Oh, shit. Um, well, <laughs> ever, ever, you know, uh, for the longest time, and this was like pre reading McCarthy, I always really identified with uh, T.S. Garp from the John Irving novel, The, the World According to Garp. And I thought, man, this dude, if, if y'all read that book, it's like watching a Jason Bateman movie where everybody is just fucking sucks, except Jason Bateman, like everybody's crazy <laughs> and he's the only sane one. And I, I felt that way a lot when I was when I was younger um, and a little more egotistical. Uh, but uh, but I, I'd have to say it's probably uh, Billy Parham from the Border Trilogy. So he was hey, yeah. he, he was in the the Crossing and then in uh, and then in Cities of the Plain. Yeah. And and what's funny about it is I wish that I could say John Grady Cole, right? Like I wish that I was just that that passionate and that uh able and capable and you know all this stuff and burning that bright but uh but i think if i'm being honest i'm more of a billy just kind of just kind of there and, and steady and you know just just part of part of the story but not necessarily making it you know yeah absolutely those are usually usually the best ones i think mine i think I don't know. I I pitch I pitch Gus McRae as probably being the most oh. most likable likable I character. Knew. But but I go back <laughs> now that you bring it up. You know, 
McCarthy's got a lot of lot of good characters too, uh, good and bad. Good yeah, guy absolutely. and bad. You know, villain or villain or uh, what do you call the good guy? Just protagonist. Yeah. <laughs> um. So something else I'd wanted to ask is about your writing process. You know, a lot of, a lot of writers are really disciplined and disciplined may not be the word structured in the way they write, you know, um, I think, I think McMurtry or maybe it was Hemingway said every day it was five, five double spaced pages. First thing in the morning. Um, the guy that wrote Hank the cow dog was real disciplined in his writing to John Erickson uh Jocko Willink who we're fans of does a thousand words a day no matter what and just curious if you had any any structure like that or if you know some days it's uh you know maybe just write a paragraph or yeah or it's uh it's a little bit of both um the discipline comes in where I definitely make myself sit down in front of the computer um every day i you know, before my daughter, it was coffee and then read a little something and then start writing. Now I spend the first couple of hours with her and then my wife takes over. Um, and, but it's, but the process remains the same, which is basically I drink some coffee. I read a couple of paragraphs of somebody good, right? Somebody a lot better than me, McCarthy or Hemingway or Faulkner or Flannery O'Connor. And I kind of, liken it to uh, a musician tapping their feet, you know, before they start playing, like trying to kind of get in rhythm a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I try to get in the rhythm of, you know, what is good prose? How is this going to flow? Um, and then I just start writing. And basically I don't have a, a word count or a page limit that I, that I try to hit. I just try to write as long as I can. Um, sometimes that's, an hour or two and then take a break and then come back to it and may do that several times throughout the day. Um, sometimes it's four or five hours straight. It just kind of varies. Um, but I make sure that, that I at least get something meaningful, uh, on the page and then, uh, and just go from there. Uh, the, the lack of discipline comes in terms of like the chronological writing. So I'll jump all like, I don't have really an outline for anything that I write, um, which is both good and bad, right? There's a lack of structure there, but there's also a lot of freedom. But if I sit down and chronologically, if I'm somewhere that, okay, we're supposed to do a scene where these guys are having a conversation, right? But I don't feel like writing dialogue. I don't feel like writing that conversation. All right, well, let me skip ahead to the next landscape scene because I really feel, you know, the sunrise was fucking awesome this morning and I really feel like writing a scene with a sunrise. Um, I'll, I'll skip ahead and do that. And I do that so often that a lot of times I'll have to spend a whole week, you know, at, at the end of a novel, like going back and kind of putting everything together and, and uh, seeing where it all fits. So that's kind of the lack of discipline. Um, but at the same time, that's just kind of how I, that's kind of how I work. I did it for the first novel and I said, man, never again, this was, it's too hard at the end to come back and put everything together. And then I ended up doing it for the second novel. And by the end of it, I thought, well, I guess this is just how it's going to be. I mean, right. if that's what it takes to get me writing, you know. Um, and so, so yeah, but definitely I agree with all those guys. My, uh, the closest thing I had to a mentor, I don't know if y'all have read Joe Lansdale, um, but he's a prolific writer out of East Texas. 
Uh, he won the Edgar Award uh, a few years back for a book called The Bottoms, uh, which is, is just can't recommend it enough. Really good book. And he does the Happen Leonard series, which is a little a little more fun kind of crime hard boiled deal. Uh, it got picked up on Sundance as a as a TV show that I think ran like maybe three seasons. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I, he's from East Texas and there's not a lot of writers that, uh, that are from East Texas. And so he agreed, you know, I told him, Hey man, I'd really love to write for a living and I don't know, you know, how to even go about it. And so he agreed to have lunch with me one day and, uh, his philosophy was just, you know, Hey man, put your ass in the chair. You can't wait for inspiration or, or for the right time or whatever, you know, uh, which makes sense. I mean, it's almost like a, you know, like from a fitness standpoint or something like if you the days that you feel the least like working out is probably the day that you really most need to do it. And so I just try to force myself to write. And some days that ends up being a, a great day of writing. And some days it doesn't. Some days it's like, man, I knew this was going to suck, but at least I flexed my disciplined muscles or whatever you want to call it. Um, and so that and that's helped a lot because sometimes it's tough, man. I mean, with with the family and, you know, with the pandemic, it was a little easier, easier to be honest, because we didn't have anything on. else to do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, but now that we're coming out of this, you know, I've got deadlines and shit coming up and everybody wants to do something all the time. And uh, sometimes you just got to make those hard calls and say, no, man, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go have the most fun I've ever had. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and, and, and no one's forcing you to do it. That'd be the hard part for me. I think, yeah, you know, definitely. It's, it's not like me. If I don't show up to work, I'm in a, my phone's going to be blowing up, you know, sure. like where the hell are you at? <laughs> yeah. You, I mean, uh, that's, that's, that's always kind of the, that's always kind of in the back of your mind. Like shit, man, I don't have to write today. Maybe I should go hang out, you know, with the family uh, and, and go do something fun. But at the same time, to John's point earlier, uh, you know, even though I don't have a day-to-day boss, boy, to miss a deadline, especially, oh, yeah. sure. <laughs> especially when my publisher, like, you know, has already given me money or something, you know, like right. that's, you know, you, I, I got to be pretty strict. Yeah. That's that. not a, not a phone call you want to be on. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I try to set my deadlines, like my personal deadlines, sometimes even months in advance yeah. from when my publisher's, you know, real deadline is. Cause boy, that would just be, that would be brutal. I'd be embarrassed as shit. <laughs> how uh, how much do you when you're when you're writing? How much do you read back over the stuff you've written? Yeah, it it, it varies. Um, you know, if I if I write something on Monday that I think is awesome, and I look at it on Tuesday, I might think it's not very good, and that can be again, that can be good or bad. It could be good because well, then I go and and clean it up, and make it better, or it could be bad because then I just, you know, start going a different direction because I don't trust myself or something like that. I mean, I don't know. I know a lot of writers and I usually don't get into it too deep with this stuff, but like, I don't know, man, if I, if, if I, if I ever heard a writer think that they were a good writer, I feel like they probably suck. Like, like <laughs> all the good writers I know don't think they're that good. And, and I think that you kind of have to feel that way. Right. Like I feel like a fraud yeah, yeah. all the time, like every, every day. You know, we win. It was funny. I, um, I won the Reading the West Award and uh, they had told me a few days before the ceremony was last night. But they told me a few days before because I had to do a speech or whatever. And they didn't want me to be caught off guard because I really would have been that asshole that was like, I didn't write a speech because I thought there was no way I was going to win. Um, 
but uh <laughs> but one of the one of the people at my publisher uh reached out and said hey you know congratulations we're so proud of you and uh all this stuff and she had emailed me in the morning and I waited until the evening to respond to her. And I was just honest with her and said, man, I should have replied to you this morning when I was happy about this, because by now it's, you know, I'm already just feel like a fraud again, who needs to try harder <laughs> to write better tomorrow. Um, but you know, I, I don't know, man, that's maybe that's just me. Um, but a lot of the, a lot of the better writers that I've talked to kind of feel that same way is you're never, and of course, McCarthy talks about this uh, in some of the few interviews that he's done, but you're never going to, you start out with an idea for a novel or for a, a scene or whatever, and you, you know what you want it to be and you try as hard as you can to get it right. And at the end of it, it's never, it's never exactly this thing that you imagine. Right. Um, Not even meeting your own expectations. Yeah. But you know, like that's real, but that's good though. I think, because like, if I, I don't know what I would do if I wasn't, what motivates me is to get better, right? It's to get better, not just as a writer, but as a reader, as a thinker, like I want to learn shit every day. Like I, you know, I, I, I want to just improve. And the reason that I'm so, you know, fired up about doing that is because I know there's room for improvement. And I just, I don't know if I ever wrote a novel that I was a hundred percent happy with, I think I might just fucking quit. Um, <laughs> and probably, probably because if I was a hundred percent happy with it, it would mean that, I had lost my edge or something a little bit, you know, kind of like lost <laughs> the chip on your shoulder. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. I work, uh, I work in the art industry. I don't even really know how to call it, but, <laughs> but that's a common, common theme, I think, among what I call creative types, which I am not. Uh, it, and it, it's a never being satisfied thing, which I think is a good thing. I do too. Um, you know, and, in whatever realm you're in, you should always be striving to be, to be better. Uh, even if that's just in your own eyes, you know, some people may not, may not think it's better, but. Well, I, it's, I have a kind of funny story on that is today I'm working my ass off because I, I think I'm going to get fired. because <laughs> Everything's going wrong. And my boss calls me up. He's like, you're doing a great job. I'm like, Oh, Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I think it think it's good to be critical of yourself. Yeah. yeah, John, that's a great point. I mean, that's the thing is like when all things left wild came out, I was like, shit, man, nobody's gonna like this. Because again, it's two years later. This was my that was my first book. I felt like I'd learned so much and grown so much. And I so again I wanted to tell people, well, I you know, it was a decent effort, um, but it was a first try. And so y'all stick with me for a couple right. more books. Um and and but the response has been, you know, has been really great. And the fact that we've won some of these awards just kind of I, I try to fall back on that to tell myself to trust myself a little more during the writing process. But I don't know, it doesn't there's just something. A buddy of mine, there's a, a novelist uh, in Austin named Owen Edgerton. Uh, he's a novelist and also a filmmaker. And uh, and he won the um, Penn Southwest Award in, I want to say, 2017 for his novel uh, called Hollow. And Owen is one of the few uh, contemporary writers that I read and go like, holy shit, this guy's awesome. Um, and Hollow just fucking crushed me. My, my wife and I read it uh, during our travels and and we were like, not okay. Uh, <laughs> for a couple of um, but I was, I was talking to him after he won this award and I said, you know, surely that, because we were talking about how we feel like frauds and all this stuff. And I said, surely that like validated you. Right. Cause like, that's a, 
it's it's the you know the Penn Hemingway Foundation. It's the you know it's a it's a big fucking award. And uh, I said, surely that validated you. And he goes, you know what? It really did for like two days. And then I started thinking, well, it's not a Pulitzer, you know. And it's just right. like, that's kind of like that's, it's the new bar, the new minimum. Yeah, like I. I remember when I was first writing All Things Left Wild, I told myself, man, if you just finish this novel, you should be so proud of yourself and you should be so satisfied because so many people start novels and don't finish them and, you know, can't complete a project. If you just finish this novel, you should be so happy. And as soon as I finished, that immediately turned into if you can just get an agent, you know, then you should. (laughs) And 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 it just carried on. And so, like, you know, it's, it's a, it's a thing that drives you forward to do better, which is great, but it also, there's like, I, I, it's a little bit of caution because at what point do you have that kind of Zen moment where you're like, you know, Hey, I'm maybe I'm not satisfied a hundred percent with my work, like with my novel, but I'm satisfied like with my life. Right. Because you can get, I mean, I get very obsessed with this shit and it's like, if the novel's not right, then, then my life is not right. The world is not right. Um, which is a fucking ignorant thing to, to think, you know, my daughter could care less if, if I wrote well today. Right. Like she's, you know, she's uh, tottering in here going, da, 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 you know, she doesn't care. And, and that's the, the, the reality, you know, is that, that, uh, you know, you've got the family and you've got life and you've got all these things going on outside of your, your shitty book. Um, but still, you know, it just, it's, it's just really, really hard to, uh, it's really hard to separate those things and, and keep that perspective as, as hard as I may try. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I loved all things left wild and, um, really excited to read river sing out i apologize because i pestered the hell out of you uh, about getting it to me and then i didn't even read it in time for the show well but, you know uh, if, we, if, if, <laughs> if i had gotten it to you quicker you would have had more time to read it so yeah. I, can, I can flip that back on yeah. we'll just we'll blame the publisher for yeah that. we'll blame blackstone <laughs> and now that i've got a contact to blackstone i'll just pester her Uh, but uh definitely looking forward to reading it and i really am excited for the next one that's set back in west texas but i'll Mm -hmm. have to wait a year it sounds like (laughs) on that um but uh river sing out you want to tell us anything about it comes out june 8th i know yeah a quick preview it's definitely it's again, it's different, obviously, from all things left wild in that it's modern day East Texas set along the Natchez River where I grew up. Um, but it's it keeps a little bit of that same tone, the same thematical things about choice and circumstance. Uh, our, our main character in River Sing Out is Jonah Hargrove, who's uh, he's turning 13. Uh, he's a young man who is caught up in cyclical poverty that permeates a lot of rural areas, particularly in East Texas. And uh, he's growing up with a, a single parent dad who works in the oil field. So his dad's gone, you know, two weeks at a time. So basically he's, you know, raising himself. Um, and it all, everything touches off when he goes outside uh, one day and there's this uh, young lady who has, uh, injured and alone in his yard and he helps her um, and kind of tends to her wounds. And it turns out she's stolen like $20,000 worth of meth from like the local 
kingpin there and uh and she's uh she's run away from her boyfriend who's who's in this kind of drug ring and she sold this uh this meth and jonah sees this kind of as his way to uh get out of of the situation he's in and to help her um and so basically the novel is their adventure along the natchez river it's like a really fucking morbid mark twain uh where they're they're trying to <laughs> unload this meth and and get out of East Texas, get out of their their situations uh, that they're in. But of course, it's more complicated than that because they've got uh, you know the drug dealers who are after them. The drug dealers uh, have the law enforcement after them. Um, they've also pissed off the cartel who supplies them with their meth, and so uh, there's some cartel folks that come into the picture. There's there's dog fighting, there's house parties, uh, there's, there's everything you could have, uh, could imagine. Uh, a lot of it was, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I'm, I'm not like super proud to say this, but a lot of this was taken exact, you know, straight from my like high school and, and, uh, and young adult years. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's a lot more personal novel, obviously, because it is set, uh, in East Texas where I'm from and, and I pulled a lot from my own experiences, but, uh, but all in all, I think it. I think it's very similar to all things left out, uh, all things left wild in terms of. Uh, it is as some of our one and two star people said, it is dark and depressing. Uh, <laughs> it's not a great look at humanity. But Perfect. I also think I have to think that, like all things left wild, there are moments of hope and moments of beauty if you kind of know where to look and 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 how to take it. Um, and so, yeah, man, I just, I hope people like it. You know, you always just get scared as shit. Uh, you know, here we are two weeks or whatever, less than two weeks from the, uh, from the launch. And, you know, I'm terrified because. Yeah. Know, I, I couldn't even imagine. Yeah. What if it comes out and nobody buys it? Or what if it comes out, and, you know, people can it and say it's awful. Um, and I think I'll probably, I probably will always feel that way. Um, you know, about every book that comes out, but, but I am excited. I am excited for folks to, to read it and, you know, and, I'll probably read the first few bad reviews or whatever. Yeah. Hey, we will too. Don't you <laughs> yeah, worry. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> now we, we plan on having it on uh, our next episode. So if there's any bad reviews, they'll be <laughs> awesome. They'll be brought up. So bring it on. Yeah. Our listeners uh, are very interested. You people is what we like what? to call them. <laughs> the you people. You people. Are, are very interested in Giardia. And so I need to know what kind of precautions oh my the main characters are taking during the novel against Giardia. <laughs> well, and River, I mean, all things left wild. They didn't sound like they were taking any precautions. Oh, they were no. drinking they're straight from the, the river. Canteen. I think we need to start an awareness charity. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I'm I'm curious. So we've got the advanced reader copy, which is super cool to me. Uh, is there any differences between this and what's coming out next week? You know, I don't think, and I don't know if I could say this with 100% certainty because all that shit kind of turns into a blur. Um, but I don't think there's any difference story-wise. I mean, there may be like, uh, you know, some typos and shit that hopefully have been fixed. Um, oh, I love finding typos. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I do know that uh, one thing that I went back and did, because I just I actually just got the hardcover uh, in a couple of days ago. And oh, it's nice. just, 
fucking beautiful. Um, that's the, that's the one thing I can say is I don't know if the novel's any good, but the lady Catherine English who does the covers uh, for my books is just incredible. Um, did she do all things left wild too? She did, and that's you know they kind of somehow they kind of play off each other a little bit. Like there's there's some kind of there's some kind of marriage there with like the yeah. the colors, the, or- the oranges and yeah. the purples. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but uh, but one thing I know that we changed is the the jacket copy, which um, again, you know, I told you guys earlier, like I'm not, I don't really look at that stuff on a book. I'll just open it up to the first page and read that page and see if I'm going to like the writing style. But it occurred to me <laughs> that some people actually read the jacket copy to see if the story's any good. And I was not real pumped about the uh, the uh, jacket copy on the advanced reader copy. So like, you know, it's I think it's on the back on the advanced reader copy that kind of gives an overview. And so I went in and, and changed that. So for the jacket copy for the, the hardback just kind of gives what I think is a little better uh, synopsis of the book. So we changed that. And then, of course, uh, we, we found out about the Spur Award, like right as the hardcover was going to print. So they kind of stopped the presses uh, on that and and went back and added here at the bottom, you know, the, the Spur Award stuff. But um, but yeah, I don't I don't think the story like I know the story doesn't fundamentally change, but I actually don't even think that like any of the I don't think any like sentences even change other than like, again, just typos, which. I'm the fucking worst at the stuff. I feel so <laughs> I bad. I feel so bad for the editors. There apparently there's some way that you can like uh, do something on the computer where you like set the margins or something on like word and, and apparently that's like a really basic thing. And they're like, Do you you need to learn how to set margins? And I'm like, Man, I don't know what that is. Right. <laughs> uh, I'm 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 really proud of myself for like you gotta work for Google to know how to do like, that. Kind yeah, of stuff. I'm like I'm really proud of myself for like figuring out how to attach a word doc to an email. You know, like, are talking to the wrong guy. Well, that's awesome, man. We're, we're excited for it, for River Sing Out. And the, what'd you say the next, next summer's book was called? Next summer's book is called Narrow the Road. Awesome. Um, and that's a, that's a, a biblical quote, um, which I always think is fun to, to kind of take the, cause I, I, I look, more and more as these books rock on there's there's a lot of uh i don't know what the word would be not examination but certainly uh there's a lot of uh thematical stuff about religion and uh and and kind of the characters relationships to to their own spirituality and things like that Mm -hmm. and so narrow the road is a is a quote in the bible about uh uh about how basically how difficult it is to uh to find like happiness in life and to find like a, a, a life worth living. Um, and that's, that's kind of, that's kind of the situation our main character in narrow the road finds himself in is he's working a, a cattle ranch, uh, in the big bend area, uh, in Redford, Texas, uh, right at the precipice of, uh, the U S's involvement in world war two. And while everybody else wants to go play soldier and while all the other ranches are selling out to, uh, to the uh, mercury miners who were coming in to mine for more ammunition for the war and all this stuff. Basically his dream has always just been to live a simple life on this, on this cattle ranch. And, uh, and all of this shit has kind of been being changing in front of him and he doesn't know how to really deal with that. And, uh, and so that's kind of, that's kind of the heart of the novel. And of course there's a lot of shenanigans that, that ensue to, to kind of keep readers uh, interested in a lot more than this dude's like angst, but <laughs> 
That one's that'll be good. Yeah, right Barry's got a lot of angst, so. uh john jerry do you guys have anything else for mr no i'm just thanks for coming on we really appreciate your time yeah yeah that was awesome i enjoyed it i do have a uh a question from a loyal listener um her name her name rhymes (laughs) with meg but i won't hey disclose that (laughs) and it's uh what what hogwarts house (laughs) would you be in <laughs> dude that's actually a really <laughs> question because it makes you dive deep into your soul you know mm-hmm. i mean it, you know we talked about it earlier like my whole life i like i want to you know i want to be the john grady but i feel like if i'm being honest i'm probably the billy so like i don't know man i want to be gryffindor you know i mean shit Definitely. like of course I think you everyone be does that. i don't know <laughs> I've got, I don't think I would go full Slytherin. I've got an ego and I've got ambition, but like not really uh-huh. that much. I'd probably be Ravenclaw. I think I, I think I fit in Ravenclaw. Well Ravenclaw. You know, it's, it's just the more academic uh, uh-huh. of the houses. You know, I'm I'm not a fucking hero, but I'll but I've got some knowledge. <laughs> you know, I uh, I hadn't read Harry Potter, so I don't even know. I think I think John's our Harry Potter expert uh-huh. here. You haven't read Harry Potter. You haven't read Game of Thrones. Like it's just, just no well, fan. Uh, of your uh, well, so I've got, I <laughs> have got, I have got Game of Thrones, and I read, I read maybe a hundred pages of it, and I just, I couldn't do it. I'll tell you something about me. If I can't uh, pronounce the characters' names, I'm out. I'm not interested. If I gotta, if I gotta be calling him Mr. T or something through the whole book, I'm not gonna read it. <laughs> It took me years to figure out how to pronounce Hermione. It took until the movies came out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was, I was, I thought I was late to the Harry Potter train. I didn't read Harry Potter until I think I read the first one in like 2009 or 10. Uh, and, and I was just, yeah, I thought I was the last one in the world to, to read that shit. So this actually makes me feel really good. I'm going to sleep so much better tonight. John had the whole series stolen out of his apartment in Arkansas and fell into a six-month depression after it happened. <laughs> I'd be depressed too if I, I mean, I just recently found out how much the whole series costed. <laughs> yeah, I, I was, I was buying the uh, the paperbacks, and one was gifted to me, and they bought me the hardback. So. <laughs> I, I borrowed i borrowed the uh the deathly hollows from a buddy of mine like you know shit 10 years ago or something he hasn't got it back yet but uh <laughs> I, guess, I guess he's not big on rereading um yeah. where, where in arkansas were you john i went to the university of arkansas so i was in fayetteville oh nice man that's man that's one of my favorite places in the world i'll i'll tell you an embarrassing story i was uh I was so I, I struggled a lot throughout my life with uh, with with anxiety and panic attacks and and uh, only like shit within the past like five years have I really like gotten kind of the right balance of uh, of medication and meditation to to be able to live a normal life. But uh, <laughs> when I got married in 2013, my wife uh, was all you know let's do the Caribbean honeymoon and all this stuff, but my my anxiety was was so great that i couldn't get on a plane i don't know why i mean when i was in high school i flew all the time or whatever but once i think i was like 19 the first time i had a panic attack and that just kind of fucked my world up and so i couldn't get on a plane for like years and years and years and the more i didn't get on the plane 
the more it became like a thing. And, uh, and it wasn't even so much of like, I thought the plane was going to crash. It was just like the thought of having a panic attack on the plane. Like you can't just tell the pilot like, Hey man, pull over and let yeah. me off real quick. Right. Um, and, so, <laughs> and so I, uh, my poor, my poor wife, she had to settle for a vacation that was the furthest place that I felt like with my anxiety, I could drive to. And that was little rock, Arkansas. And, <laughs> and we, and, and by the way, little rock is fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. And we went in the fall and it's beautiful and there's a ton of stuff to do. And, and like, I love little rock, but we got asked at like every restaurant we went to, we'd be like, Oh, it's our, they'd be like, what are you doing here? Oh, it's our honeymoon. And they just look at us like, <laughs> really? <laughs> like fucking really? Um, and so, but now I will, I have to follow up by saying that I have since, um, uh, taken my wife to you know mexico and done the whole thing. Like, <laughs> as, as, soon, as soon as i was able to fly again i was like we're gonna make up for lost time um, but that was one of the things that was so wild about us like traveling the country is there was a time where i really couldn't drive more than like four or five hours away from where i lived without like having some kind of weird like you know reaction um and, and so the fact that i went from that to my wife and i traveled the country we went to like 30 states uh and just camped free camped in our rv and all these national forests and stuff um you know that's i don't know man i think that's what led me to write all things left wild and even there in the prologue caleb has a panic attack like he doesn't know that's what it is because that's that wasn't really like a a thing but he he has a panic attack and has to pour water on his head and and all that stuff um and so i but i think that's kind of what led me to actually like have the courage or whatever to to write a book um which is something that I tell, you know, this is more, this podcast more about the readers, but uh, in a lot of the writing podcasts that I do, I always tell new writers or prospective writers, like, you know, give yourself credit. Cause it's a, it's a courageous thing to, to write a book and, and put it out there because no oh, matter, yeah. no matter what happens, like we talked about earlier, somebody is going to tell you that you suck. You know, <laughs> like somebody is going to tell you that I, this is, is garbage. I've, I've written about 10 short stories and nobody's ever seen a word of them, but me. Yeah. I haven't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's it. Like it's, it's, it's a tough thing uh, to do. And I honestly don't know that if I, you know, I, I doubt I could have done it, uh, you know, back in the, in the, the darker days uh, when everything was just anxiety and depression, but now everything's Lone Star beer and happiness. So we, there like, you we, go. That's <laughs> the way God intended. That's what, right. uh, where is your favorite of all the places you've traveled? Where's your, what's your top spot? Oh, man, that's a, that's a good one. Uh, we, uh, we love New Mexico. Um, just kind of a, a lot like Texas. It has kind of everything geographically. Oh yeah. Um, but in a lot more condensed space, you know, I mean, shit, we're in, we're in the hill country here in, uh, in Canyon Lake, Texas, and it takes forever to get anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. Texas is a big place, but, uh, but yeah, we, we love New Mexico. We loved South Dakota was like the most underrated gym, man. Everything from the Black Hills to the to the Badlands, like South Dakota was beautiful. Um, California was great. You know, I, it's not the most popular thing to say in Texas, but California was <laughs> awesome. We, uh, <laughs> we, we, we enjoyed it. Um, but I will say, you know, we were talking about this with Jared earlier, uh, you know, off air, but uh but uh, South Carolina was another just underrated, like, you know, we knew we wanted to go to Charlestown, but like, we didn't, uh, you know, we had just heard, we hadn't heard a lot about South Carolina, you know, in Texas, mm-hmm. t- in Texas, Texas takes up all the oxygen, right? Like 
you fucking forget that there are other states um, other yeah, than Oklahoma, yeah. which sucks, yeah. right? That's what you yeah. learn. Um, <laughs> and so when we, when we went to South Carolina, man, we just had such a great time. I'll tell you what, we, we expected to see beautiful sights all over the country and we did, and we expected to get back to nature and all that stuff. And we did, and it was awesome. What we didn't expect that completely took us by surprise was the people we were going to meet, the relationships we were going to form. I mean, there, there's a lady in Lodi, California, who we met her daughter at a winery and she was like, y'all need to come meet my parents. And like, we, like we, you know, went and did a wine tasting with them. And, and, uh, there was a lady, uh, a bartender in Baker's or no, in, uh, shit, where was that in Kernville, California, who, uh, who her mother had just passed away. And she was sad about and asked we'd join her for dinner because she didn't want to be by herself. We, we celebrated in Arizona, uh, we were at an RV park and we stumbled upon uh, this Hispanic family that they were celebrating. The patriarch of the family uh, was cancer free for the first time in like six years or something. And they were doing this big celebration and they invited us like, you know, kind of to their party and, and just the kindness that all these people uh, showed. But but maybe the most memorable moment was right down the road from from Jared in, uh, in McClellanville, South Carolina. We were staying at a place uh in the national forest called honey hill which we learned uh as soon as we told people that they kind of looked at us like man y'all better be careful you know like apparently that's not not too many people go there that's all (laughs) (laughs) um there well there were there were only a couple people out there but it was like it was a free camping spot and it and it said that you're only supposed to be there for like 10 to 14 days but it looked like these people had been there for years um, and so we're staying at Honey Hill and we went to the only place in McClellanville, I, I think anyway, like the only business, uh, is the bent rod. And it, that we saw that a sign on their little marquee that said like trivia Wednesday night. And we love trivia. You know, we play in Austin all the time, go drink some beer and, and do some trivia. So we'll go to the bent rod for trivia and it's movie trivia. And that's kind of right up our alley. So we are talking to folks, telling them about our trip. You know, it's a great conversation starter. And, um, and of course the locals were just super colorful. You know, there was a tugboat captain. Um, there was, uh, Jared, is that your step yeah, he, he might've been there. <laughs> <laughs> there was, there was a guy who, uh, was, who was like, a, he called, he literally called himself. He told us his job title was the plantation overseer um for like i could see that for like ted (laughs) i don't know how accurate this is but like i want to say you said ted turner has like a duck hunting place or something in south Carolina. i don't know anyway there's a lot of uh duck leases around here yeah so he he said he was like the plantation overseer for ted turner's duck uh lease um but we met all these people well we end up winning the trivia and the uh and we kind of thought the locals are going to turn on us now right like this is we (laughs) come in here they play every Wednesday here, you know, here's these strangers. Um, uh, but the prize was a free bar tab. And I asked the bartender who also I think happened to be the owner. I was like, do you mind if on our free bar tab, we like buy everybody around or would that totally fuck you? And he's like, no, it's, it's fine. So we buy everybody around. So now we're in everybody's good graces. Um, we get way too, way too hammered. Um, and <laughs> I, I'm like, I'm like taking a piss at some point And I hear, my wife is, I hear her voice raised like with, with this guy uh, to where, so, so we're from Texas, but my wife is from Austin and she's like, 
you know, vegetarian, super liberal, <laughs> like, you know, not like not what you would think of when you when you think of a, a Texan. And, and, and these folks from South Carolina, I feel like they were genuinely disappointed, you know, that like we weren't like fucking shooting <laughs> Colts or something. <laughs> so anyway, she's she's getting into it about like, I don't know, like like whether or not it's cruel to eat a pig or something. Anyway, I'm taking a piss and I hear my wife scream at this guy. Well, I'm from Texas, goddammit. And I'm like, oh my God. And so, <laughs> so like, I hustle out and I, and this guy looks at her and he just grins and he goes, Well, that's the first Texas thing. They said that's the first Texas thing you said all night, you know? That's your first Texas. Yeah. So we we ended up getting uh, getting invited back to uh, the tugboat captain's house for like an after party wow. at three in the morning. Uh, and, and and it was just it was wild, man, because they were they were very nice, but at some point, uh, this guy took me and he was like six feet something and uh, a lot taller than I am. And he took me, put his arm around me, walked me into his garage and he had a Confederate flag that was like, I don't know, man, it covered like the entire wall, at least in my memory. And it had these, uh, <laughs> I believe it. It had these zombie <laughs> Confederate soldiers like coming out of the middle of the stars and bars, you know what I'm saying? Like they're like ripping oh. through. <laughs> and it says, the South will rise again. And he's, and it, you know, we're just, terribly drunk at this point and he said hey man i'm from south carolina you're from texas but we're both from the south our people's from the south tell you, the south gonna rise again and i mean obviously like i don't need to talk politics with the dude at this point so i'm just like cool man like, yeah you're like, all right brother that'll that'll work. Sure is. <laughs> but but on the flip side uh the tugboat captain uh, i believe his name was cameron he was like completely, he was just like, you're a moron, like, you know, and politics is horseshit, whatever. So he was like uh, abstaining. And then probably the most like, and, you know, I grew up in East Texas, like, you know, when I drink, I, I get a pretty heavy accent myself, but like probably like one of the most country accents I've ever heard was this guy named Jervy, or at least that was his nickname. He said that at some point when he was in uh, grade school, everybody was yelling, jervy at him and he turned around and so that became his nickname i i, I didn't follow the story but jervy as everybody's discussed in politics and jordan and i are getting like really uncomfortable jervy's smoking a cigarette it's like four in the morning and he says hey man i voted for this was like right after the election and, man i voted for hillary clinton i tell you what man i don't trust my dad taught me not to trust republicans you know and it's just like and again like it's i, I could care less i'm not even you know trying to be political about it but just hearing this guy who looked a certain way and sounded a certain way right. uh, caught you was, off guard a little bit uh, yeah. yeah it was just it was like a baffling thing and so uh and so that was kind of the biggest overall surprise of the trip was all these different people we met from all different walks of life different socioeconomic backgrounds different cultures different politics and everybody was so fucking kind and oh, that yeah. is severely underrated uh these days and and also something well, I think, and, and and you don't know it too unless right you, because it's you not know, unless it's, you it's, get out and live it exactly yeah. it's not sexy it doesn't sell you're not gonna you don't see that covered a lot but uh but it really was like a very heartening thing you know like you read some of my novels you might think that i i think humanity's totally fucked <laughs> and, maybe, Dooms, yeah. and maybe it is but there are good people out there and uh and and so that's I think that's like a positive hopeful message that i can at least uh you know share <laughs> yeah. I was actually telling my son just this morning, he was, I don't even remember what he brought up, but I said, man, people are mostly good. And he goes, well, you look at the, 
what you see on YouTube over the last year. I'm like, man, YouTube, that's what YouTube wants you to see. Yeah, right. And I was like, I've been all over the country the last year, and everything's pretty hunky-dory for the most part. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> so. that's, that's right. I mean, and that's not to – it's not to take away from folks that are struggling or from things that are bad, but at, at the same time, like, you just – you really do forget because if all you, if all you have is, you know, the internet and the news or whatever, like it's really, really easy to think this is like the, the worst time right. in history. That were the end of times. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's, and it's, and I think to some degree, I think every generation thinks that at some point, you know, that this is, this is it. Everything's fucked up mm-hmm. now, but like it's, it is, it is getting better. It's continually getting better. And what a, what a crazy world we live in uh you know to where we can be talking on our I'm, I'm on my phone right now you know like talking to you guys and can see you and hear you and yeah you know, i was wondering just, why your oh, screen looked different to be honest am I, am I like <laughs> and his looks better than yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well uh james thank you for coming on man it, it's a yeah. great honor for us uh i hope uh hope we can sell you a few books and and I hope we can have you back on next year when the new one comes out. Absolutely. Why don't you tell us, tell not us, because I know where to find you. (laughs) Tell uh, everybody else where they can find you, how to interact with you. Sure. Uh, JamesWadeRider.com is the website. You can message me on there. You can join the newsletter. It's completely free. Uh, uh, I'm most active, I guess, on Instagram. Uh, It's at JamesWadeRider.com. Uh, Facebook is also at James Wade Ryder. Um, I, I have a Twitter. I don't even know what the handle is. My wife usually does that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, just holler at me on Instagram or on the website. And, uh, I really do get back to everybody. Um, I, I make it a point at the end of every writing session, you know, whether that's, uh, whether it's been a long one or, or a short one, I make sure to take an hour to, uh, do any kind of social media replying to comments or, or messages or emails or anything like that. Um, and, and I love that part of it, man, because that's, you know, when, when you do connect with, with readers and talk about writing or talk about anything really, I mean, that's, that's kind of the beauty of this whole deal. And then, um, you know, something that, that connects us all is we all, we all like books. So. Yeah, holler at me. Love it. <laughs> all right. You guys got anything else? All right, nope. James, we appreciate it, man. Good luck. Man, thank you all so much. This was this was a real treat, and uh, best of luck moving forward with the show. I'll I'll listen as much as I can. Every other Sunday, we 6 appreciate that. Yeah, definitely appreciate yes, it. Thanks for thanks for helping spread the word. Uh, man, I love your bookshelf. Go to his Instagram and and check <laughs> out his office. It's it's one to be envied for sure. Jared, I know you want to say something. Get those miles in, baby. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Not, fellas. Night. Not. Thank you for listening to the Bourbon Bookshelf Podcast. Our aim with this show is to encourage people to read widely, enjoy good beverages in moderation, get outside, and have good conversations. We hope we can meet this goal while serving as good company for you, the listener. If you enjoy the show, please let us know by subscribing to and reviewing the podcast and following us on Instagram. 
If you really enjoy the podcast, please consider making a small monthly donation to help us continually improve the show. You can find the link to do this in the show notes for this episode or on our Instagram page at bourbon underscore bookshelf. Thank you and we'll see you next time.